Hey guys, Pastor Jürgen here. We're so excited you're tuning into one of our amazing messages. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, it's going to be real, and it's going to be powerful. It's going to help you to grow stronger in your walk with God. It's going to put faith on the inside of you. It's going to cause you to be able to walk in greater dimensions of blessing and enlargement so that you can be a blessing to other people. Well, lean in, enjoy the word. God bless you. I changed the title of my message after the first service because I just felt this title's better. I, in the first service, I felt like God said, this is gonna be a take back year. So I'm changing the title of my message to, it's a take back year. It is a take back year. How many of you have been robbed? Robbed in life. Yes, do you think God is happy that you've been robbed, that you're continually plundered from? No, he ain't. So I'm declaring it prophetically. It is a take back year. What the enemy has stolen, God is going to restore and God is going to redeem. And I don't know where that finds you today, but let it find you. Maybe it's a marriage hanging by a thread. Maybe it's a business that went kaplonk. Maybe it's relationals issues, maybe it's accusations, maybe it was your reputation. God can restore it. God can redeem it. It's what he does. And I want you to know in a, in a crowd that's so massive today that God doesn't see a crowd. He sees a group of sons and daughters. So I do want to make this message about you today, which is good, right? Because that's why you're here, right? It's not about me. It's about you. So I love reading the Bible. And I love particularly the book of Judges. The book of Judges is my favorite book in the whole Bible because it's just got so much adventure in it. It's, it's like where the Game of Thrones meets Braveheart meets 1883 with a bit of Yellowstone. <laughs> and maybe some real housewives thrown in for good measure. I mean, it does have Deborah and JL. And JL, she could have been on the Real Housewives of New Jersey. She was taking men out with a tent peg. I mean... <laughs> I mean, this, this is a magnificent book, the book of Judges. And my favorite character in the book of Judges by a country mile is Gideon. Because I resonate so much with his story. He's an unlikely hero. And in the story of Gideon, it's only three chapters long. It's brilliant. Uh, Judges 6, 7, and 8. You can actually read it tonight. You're going to see a man who was an unlikely hero. But, but to me... He symbolizes the progression of every Christian as they go on their journey with God. You could break Gideon's story and the life of every believer into three scenes. Scene one, the encounter. Scene two, the obedience or the cutting or the cost. Somebody say, ooh, ooh, we'll get to that. Don't worry. That might hurt a bit, but it's okay. And then the final scene is the assignment. So I want to start reading to you from Gideon's story today, and I think you're going to see yourself in his story. One thing I've realized just as I've pastored for 30 years and been alive for 47 years is every single human has a lot of dysfunction. And one thing I know is that we're never going to arrive while we are alive. 
And even for myself, you know, I find as I go through life and journey with God, that little bit by little bit, God will reveal just another layer of that dysfunction that he wants to redeem and and restore. And we're going to see that in the life of Gideon. In Judges chapter 6, verse 11 to 16, it says this. This is where Gideon has the encounter. Somebody say the encounter. Good. Okay. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abiziorite. Now that's Gideon's dad. And his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And I already love Gideon because it's like he's in a lockdown shutdown, like he's going through his own 2020 season where he was told he had to shut down his business, but he's being delightfully defiant. <laughs> And he's, he's in the wine press, hiding it from the Midianites. For us, it would be hiding it from Governor Newsom. <sighs> so there's a brave man right here. He's, I got to feed my flipping family and I'm making bread. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. The angel of the Lord was attracted to this brave man who was doing what was right in a wicked season. And the Lord said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon said. Clearly, he's British. (laughs) But if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? If God is real, if God is good, if God is true, then why do bad things happen to good people? It's the question that so many people have. And where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of our enemies. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. His self-esteem after seven years of demonic oppression has been reduced to rubble. And the Lord answered him, I will be with you. And if you remember nothing from today except that, remember that. I will be with you. The greatest words in the Bible. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. So right here, we get to uh, to peek into the encounter scene of Gideon's life. And it's one that we will all come to. It's like Gideon is responding to an altar call and seeing God for the first time. So he knew about God, but now he knows God. He has an interaction. He collides with the kindness and the character of God. And in the encounter scene that every single one of us will have, when we awaken to the reality of God and his goodness in our lives, we find that he comes and he washes away the sticky labels that cruel men have placed on us. And, and sometimes it can be things that are spoken over you when you're a little kid. And I've found that if you don't deal with it, you will actually grow up into it. So when I was a little girl, like I had just the best imagination ever. I, all I wanted to do was daydream and, and imagine. And, and I was more of a creative, less of an intellectual. And I grew up with four sisters who were very academically smart. And I remember going to school and the teachers were perplexed at my inability to, to, you know, deal with mathematical equations and science. I've got to be honest with you. 
I learned nothing at school. <laughs> nothing. I daydreamed the whole time. You know, they, they tried to label me with ADD. I like to reclassify that as a severe aversion to boredom. <laughs> if, if you want to teach me something, you better be flipping interesting, right? So I ended up leaving school in the 10th grade. And I remember my math teacher looking at me because he taught all my sisters. He's looking at me and he's like, are you sure you're a gray girl? You know, I grew up my whole life thinking that I, I just wasn't intelligent. And it wasn't until I had an encounter with God where I allowed him to wash away the sticky labels. And I, I mean, many of you have heard this story about the first time I came to America. For those of you who don't know me, clearly I am Australian. <laughs> Although I've been naturalized, so I'm one of you now. So you have to love me. I was born an Aussie, but I'll die an American in like a long time from now. I'm going to live till I'm 100. And I remember the first time I came to America. Many of you have heard this, but I'm going to tell it again. So my husband arrived and I arrive in 2005. We've got our three sons. Our daughter is not yet born to plant the church. And I remember having my first encounter up close and personal with a Californian woman. Oh my God, it is etched in my memory forever. <laughs> so nobody told me, cause we were by the pool at a hotel, staying in a hotel before we moved into our permanent uh, residence. And, and I remember seeing this woman, like it was almost like a documentary was playing in my head as I'm watching her. Like one of those uh, David Attenborough documentaries. This is an American woman. <laughs> See how she struts by the pool in her string bikini with her spray tan, wearing wedges and so much jewelry, like she looks like Mr. T. And I'm, I, I'm an Aussie. So when we go to the pool, we go to swim. Nobody told me in California, when you go to the pool, swimming, what's that? You put on your glamorous best and you, and you lay out. And nobody told me that one of the first commandments in the California Woman Handbook was thou shalt not get thine hair wet. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm wet, I'm totally unmannered and unpettied. I had not yet been transformed into a Californian. <laughs> and I'm having this interaction with this woman. She was so lovely and so kind. And she was asking why we were here. She's like, oh, you're Australian. Like, are you here on vacation? And I said, no, well, actually, um, my husband and I are here because we're planning a church. She goes, oh, don't we already have churches in America? <laughs> I'm like, um, yes, but we believe that God told us to come and plan a church, and it's going to be really amazing. It's going to be great. <laughs> and, and she's like, so you said that your husband and you are pastors? I didn't know women could be pastors. And, um, and I said, well, yes, in the movement that I'm from, um, if you just hang around long enough and you don't do too many things wrong, they'll eventually make you a pastor. <laughs> so that, yeah, that was the qualifications. And, and, and then she said, oh, so what Bible college did you go to? 
and immediately I am triggered because not only was there not Bible college, I left school in the 10th grade and I'm immediately feeling intimidated because I have the weight of the words from my past now that I'm living down to in my future. And I remember going upstairs and saying to God, why did you send me here? I'm nothing like these women. How can I minister to them? They're brilliant and they have so many degrees and they're educated. And I'll never forget God just saying, Leanne, I didn't bring you here to give America more of what they've already got. Just be you, like just be you. I know who I made you and I, I liked how I made you. And by the way, it's not about your qualifications, it's about mine. You're going to be fine. Because I was up there Googling Bible college degrees thinking, I have to become this huge intellectual person in order to relate. And how many of us have jumped on a wheel of performance to become something that we have never been called to be or to do something that we're not called to do, to try to eradicate a label from our lives that literally just has to be lifted off by lifting your hands to the Lord and saying, oh God, wash me from the sticky words of evil man that was spoken over my life. And this is where we find Gideon. He has this encounter with God where God has to send an angel of the Lord to get a message to him. You are not what man said you were. Do not live under that oppressive label anymore. And I I wonder who needs to hear that today. The words that were spoken over you that have defined you. Let the Lord wash it away. Let him minister to you and show you who you truly are. And let me just do a bit of a caveat. That's why I don't like those personality quizzes or those leadership quizzes and they put you in a flipping box. I hate those things. And I hate the Enneagram because I feel like it gives people an excuse to be mean. And they'll be like, oh, I punched you in the face because I'm an eight. Well, well, stop it. You you know what's more powerful than the Enneagram? The fruits of the spirit, America. Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's your Enneagram. And if you conform to that, you're doing good. That's all you need. Some of us think, you know, we come to church, and I just really want to tell you this today. God made you unique. You know where our in common should be? We align at the word of God. We don't deviate from what the word of God says. That's where our our alignment is. We're aligned at the fruit of the spirit. But then just rock on with yourself. God doesn't have another you. You know, I feel to tell this story. I'm going to tell some stories today, you guys. And this is clearly about Gideon, but, and you, um, (laughs) I remember walking into a coffee shop a few years ago and having a profound Holy Spirit moment, walking into a coffee shop and seeing a table of eight people all dressed identically. They all had little hats on, like skinny jeans with rips, deep neck Vs, chains with keys on them, shoes without socks, glasses they didn't need for seeing, and a tattoo on their arm saying something profound in Hebrews, in Hebrew, right? I remember walking in and going, 
No. I felt the Holy Ghost go, no, no, you can't all like that outfit. Uh, um, immediately, immediately I knew they were worship pastors. And, and I did a little bit of eavesdropping. Oh, yeah, they're worship pastors. Yeah, they're singing oceans over there, right? And, and I thought to myself, like, how sad that the church has become this. We've conformed around the wrong things. We want you to be you. God only made one you, and the world would be robbed of the lack of you if you try to be me. We've got a Leanne. We got a Pastor Jurgen, thank God. We only need one for the love of all that is holy. How must we offend the world? We only need one Jurgen. So the encounter where God shows you who you are, and I would hate it if you came to our church and, and you, you transform to the shallow parts of us. I don't want you to dress like me. I, I want you to, let's conform around the fruits of the spirit and the word of God, but be you, be you. We like you. We want you. We need you. So, so Gideon has this encounter with God where God washes him. And then he starts to pipe off about everything that he's mad at God at. And this is how I know God is so kind because in the encounter stage, God doesn't clap back at you. Did you notice when Gideon said, well, now the Lord has a f a forsaken us. He's abandoned us. And where are all these miracles? And if God is with us now, if I were God, I would have pointed back to Judges chapter 6, verse 1. And then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yeah. Now, Gideon, is the problem that I have forsaken you? If I was God, I would say this. Or is it that you have forsaken me? But God is so beautiful, he knows what we need to hear and when we need to hear it. And when you're in this encounter stage, you're going to find that God will wash you. And, and, and mankind likes to blame, blame God, blame other people. But God doesn't blame. He doesn't play the blame game. I mean, he would win it every time, let's be honest. <laughs> let's go back a chapter, shall we? And see why you're in the mess you're in. But he doesn't. God doesn't blame. God comes to fix. He's, he's the fixer. And we find the God who washes away the residue of the world, the wicked labels from wicked men placed on your life, and he gets them off you. God, the, the angel of the Lord wants to find you today. What, what does he need to wash away? And that's why you're so smart being in church, because this is where a lot of washing happens. But even when you go home, be really smart about what you let wash over you. When I'm in the car, and this is not about legalism, this is about what benefits me. The Bible says all things are permissible, Paul speaking, but not all things are beneficial. It's permissible for me to listen to any music I want. But what's beneficial? I, I let the words of heaven wash over me. I need less apple bottom jean jeans, boots with the fur, with the fur. And I need more protector. You'll never, never, never let me go. I'm not a singer. But I want, like, so be smart. Let, let the words of your heavenly father wash. What does he need to wash away? counteract it with a song from heaven, with a word from God, with a message that puts faith in you. It's not about legalism. It's not about you can't, you better not. No, forget about it. Just what, what is going to help you? 
What is going to amen or affirm what God has made you and who you are? God loves you. And and in that encounter scene, you're going to have a collision with the kindness of God and the goodness of God. But how many people are ready for scene two? Scene two, the music's about to change. All right, da-da-da. Yeah. Because in scene two, we still have a collision with the kindness of God. But this time, God is carrying a scalpel. And this is what Gideon finds. So he gets his identity restored. God shows him who he truly is. But then in scene two, we see God coming to Gideon and asking something of him. Scene two is obedience. Have you ever wondered why so many Christians are so saved, so going to heaven, but so dysfunctional? It's like, how are you simultaneously a believer, but so freaking jacked up? Have you ever wondered? It's because they don't transition into scene two, the obedience. Now, let me be really clear. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whosoever should believe in him, not behave. Your salvation is not about behaving, but your transformation is. So the reason so many Christians are jacked up is because they're not obedient to the leading of the Lord to cut down or tear down what he's asking them to deal with. There's always a route to oppression and robbery. This actually wasn't about the Midianites. This was a deeper issue that in this next scene, we see God reveal to Gideon. So let's look at this. In Judges chapter 6, starting at verse 25. Now it came to pass that same night that the Lord said to him, Gideon, I want you to take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down. Okay, let me tell you what's happening here. God is revealing to Gideon the source of the oppression. He's revealing to Gideon, this is why your life is messed up and dysfunctional. I'm about to show you. This is like the Holy Spirit coming and putting a a, a full-length mirror in front of us. I'm going to show you the source of the robbery. I want you to tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. And we then see that Gideon does this very thing. The Lord speaks to him and reveals to him something in his family line, something in his life that has been the source of all the robbery and oppression that they've been dealing with. Now, I just want you to see this for a second. This would have been normal to Gideon. This would have been completely normal. The, the, for them to worship Yahweh on Sunday, but then also simultaneously have an idol of Baal and Asherah, that, he grew up thinking this was normal. And quite often... What God will reveal to you is something that has been normally, you're just so used to it. Doesn't everybody talk to their their friends and family members this way? Doesn't everybody respond to conflict this way? Isn't everybody massively intimidated and expecting to be rejected every time they walk into a room? This is normal. God had to reveal to Gideon the source of the robbery. It's an idol. This is not helping you. You think it's serving you, but you are serving it. Idol, it doesn't offer life. 
And God had to show him, this is the source of the oppression. It's time to deal with the root. In a take back year, my friends, it's time to allow the Lord access into your heart to deal with the root of why you're living an oppressed, miserable, anxious life. Because you're like Gideon saying, where is God? And God is saying, will you let me in? I've been trying for a really long time to reveal to you the root and the source of this, the, this dysfunction. And if you allow me, I will help you cut it away once and for all. I think about this story in terms of a natural birth. In a natural birth, the baby is born and the baby is washed. That's the encounter scene. But eventually, on the eighth day, in some traditions, the baby is cut. Can you stay with God and not jump back into scene one when the cutting comes? Because the cutting can be uncomfortable. I mean, and I'm referring to circumcision. Very uncomfortable. So can God go to, to that sensitive private place in your life that you have not revealed to anyone and cut away the things that are causing the infection and the trauma and the oppression. I had to let him do that to me because, you know, I grew up and I, I love people. I, I, I loved life, but very intimidated because I felt like I didn't really have anything to offer people. And so this really manifested in my adult life. And, and I was a pastor. And ministry is an easy place to hide. I'm going to be honest with you. And I remember my husband and I joined a new church as youth pastors. And God was now putting a full-length mirror in front of, because he's kind. He, he knows what we can deal with when we can deal with it. And he put this full-length mirror up one day when I was sitting in the car, afraid to walk into a church meeting because my husband my security blanket was sick at home and wouldn't be there to lead the way with his epic personality. See, I didn't need to have a personality or any social skills because Jürgen had enough for everybody. <laughs> and so I could quite happily hide behind him. But then one day, all the conditions were perfect for God to reveal this idol to me. And so I'm sitting in the car and I'm looking like it's a big glass room and people are laughing and talking and having fun. And then I'm sitting in the car like, like some weird stalker, looking at them, thinking, gosh, I'd love friends. I, I'm so lonely, but I can't go in there because they'll reject me. I, I won't be accepted. I was intimidated, and God came to me in my most vulnerable, messy moment. And God is not afraid of our mess. In fact, he runs to our mess because he knows how to clean it up. And I remember him saying to me, Leanne, this is not normal. And in fact, this has been an idol in your family line for a really long time. And I looked back through, through the pages of history. I'm like, wow, I see it, God. I see the line in my family where we, we thought we were always going to be rejected, where we feared man, where, where we're bound to this intimidation. I don't want to live this way anymore. And just like Gideon had to do it afraid, the Bible says that he was afraid when he tore the idols down. He still did it. You know, I made a decision then. I'm going to get out of the car. I'm going to do it afraid. And I'd love to say to you that I walked into that room and I was met with open arms and everybody wanted to be my BFF. But the truth is I walked in and it was awkward. You know why? Because I was awkward. Oh, I didn't know how to be without Jürgen. Ah, ah, ah. I was like the tin man from The Wizard of Oz. But eventually things became better than they'd been. 
And God was able to not only reveal that spirit of fear, but help me uproot it. And if I'm honest, this scene here, the cutting scene, happens over and over again throughout our Christian life. It's like Groundhog Day. I wish at 47 that I still didn't have to face fear, but I do. Just at a different level. You know the beautiful thing? Because I think that that pioneering act of allowing God in to reveal the idols and you acknowledging them is the, the first and most important step. But I don't want you to be discouraged when you find yourself facing the same things over and over again because you're facing them at a different level. But you're going to make it. You're going to get there. You're going to get there. And I honestly think till we die, God will be revealing a few things in our lives. I know for Pastor Jürgen and I, it's, it's the gospel truth. And I think it's a good thing for us all to acknowledge. But even with this spirit of fear, just, just recently... My husband decided, because we have a campus in Salt Lake City, that we were going to become a family of skiers. So he, he had this plan, like, we are going to be skiers. I have deemed it. But he did not factor in the fact that I'm terribly uncoordinated. So me on skis is a meme waiting to happen. <laughs> or one of those um, candid camera videos, you know. So, and I, I am so afraid, like I'm afraid because I tried to snowboard, was terrible at it. I couldn't turn left. I was like Zoolander. Every time I turned left, I'd fall over, like I could not turn left. And so I gave up snowboarding thinking it's not for me. I'm not, no, me and snow. And he's determined. And he, I, because I'm obedient, we were going up in the ski lift and I am, I am like hating on him the whole way up. How dare you? I don't need to be good at everything. I, I don't need to be a skier. You're, you're a faith bully. This is called faith bullying. And, and the kids were behind us laughing as I'm, you know, telling him what time it is. But the truth is, and he looked at me and he said, Leanne, this is a spirit of fear. This is actually just fear. And I'm like, oh, and he was so right. But I didn't tell him because I wanted to scratch his eyes out. <laughs> But he was so right. And I got up there and honestly, I, I am embarrassed to say, but I was so scared and it was a green run that I, I was like crying. I was so glad for those goggles because I could hide it. I'm not going to let him see me cry. <laughs> but I felt God say, yes, this is another part of your fear battle. And I was just afraid because actually skiing is pretty simple if you don't have fear. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to do it. And I was so proud of myself. I probably looked weird, but I got down that mountain and now I'm actually an okay skier, which is all I wanted to be. But, but the bigger battle was the battle of fear and it will come to you in different layers, in different stages throughout your lifetime. In those moments, do not exit scene two. Do not run back to scene one. Lay yourself out on that gurney and let, let the Holy Spirit come at you with his knife and cut away what needs to be cut away. Trust me, do not get off that hospital bed until he's done. Because you're wearing one of those gowns with the exposed back. It'll be embarrassing for everybody. And that's exactly what happens. You're exposed. You're running around with your little butt cheeks. And, uh, and not a good look, America. Stay on the bed until the Lord is done. Uh, God is so beautiful. And he's so good. And he never reveals these things to shame us, to rub our faces in our weakness. That's what mankind does. The Lord is a healer. And he wants things to be better than they've been. Don't, don't you want to be free? 
because freedom lay for not just Gideon, but the Israelites on the other side of his obedience to tear down these idols that had been robbing their nation and them personally for so long. So your homework today is to go home and just get real with the Holy Spirit. I can't identify what that idol may be, but the Lord knows and he'll show you. You don't need to fast for 700 days for him to tell you. Just say, Lord, reveal the source of the oppression. Reveal the source of the dysfunction. Just like King David did. King David was so beautiful. Was he perfect? No, but he had an open heart to God. Oh God, search me, know me. Test my every anxious thought. See that there be no wicked way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's what God wants you to do. Will will you open your heart to the Lord today? Will you let him in? You don't have to tell a million people, but definitely tell the Holy Spirit. Tell him and then be obedient. When he says, tear the idol down, tear the idol down. And that's what Gideon did. He teared the idol down and something amazing happened next. Well, first of all, everybody started losing their marbles. Who cut down the, the Baal statue and who took down our Asherah pole? Rawr. And then that town was a bunch of snitches. Gideon did it. So they snitched on him, the little jerks. But then something amazing happened. Gideon's father, Joash, who had allowed this idol to exist in their family, who had pandered to it, who had allowed his sons and his daughters growing, to grow up thinking it was normal. Joash, the dad, all of a sudden finds his courage because his son stood as a cycle breaker. And some of you are waiting on your parents to change or maybe blaming them for your life. Will you take it down in your generation? Will you be a cycle breaker? Will you be the take back kid in your family line and not look back with blame, blaming your parents, blaming God? I am going to start a different legacy from this day forward. And if I have to teach my parents how to do it, then so be it. Get rid of that victim thing that says it's everybody else's fault and life may have been unfair, but how's that working for you? Will you stand up with God and with him wrestle to the ground the very thing that has kept you and your family and your brothers and your sisters and perhaps the entire town in bondage and oppression. God is saying it is enough now. This is our take back year. God is with you. God is with you. God is with you. Just as God was with Gideon, God is with you. The most beautiful words in the Bible. You don't have to be a wildly dysfunctional Christian. You can be only mildly dysfunctional. I'd like to give you you're not dysfunctional at all, but I have yet to meet that person. So I'm going to, let's just, let's just make the goal accessible, the goal attainable. Oh, I love you guys. So many things God allows you to cut out. Oh gosh, I remember watching The Real Housewives many, many years ago. And God said to me, Leanne, I don't want you to be entertained by something you're meant to deliver women from. Things. Sometimes it's little things. Sometimes it's big things like a spirit of fear that has sat like a fat frog on your family line for generations. Sometimes it's little things. And again, everything is permissible. Right? You can, God's not judging you because you're watching the housewives. But not everything is beneficial. If I want to teach 
a company of women, a group of women, how to, to live lives of integrity and to be kind to one another, I can't be entertained by the dysfunction that I'm trying to untangle them from. It just, it just makes sense, right? But all I would say to you is when the Lord exposes something, be obedient, do it, do it, do it. God will show you and he'll come to you throughout your life. And the band's up, so I better hurry. They changed Gideon's name to Jerubbabel. They changed his name from Gideon to Baal Slayer. He got a superhero name. Everything shifted. Everything changed. He didn't have a role model. He didn't have a daddy to show him. But how beautiful that he was the cycle breaker in his family line. Just recently, we had Emerge Junior, the beautiful kids' church team, Pastor Andre and Shauna, Jeff, the Emerge team, Charles, put this together. So incredible. But the most beautiful thing about it was it represented so many men that were cycle breakers in their family. Talking with uh, Pastor Jesse Sullivan, who's one of our pastors up at Bressy Ranch campus. And he had tears in his eyes as he was talking about the fact that his daddy ran out when he was three months old and he was abandoned. And yet here he was with his four-year-old son, being able to be the father to him that he never had as a kid. Is it, is it fair that Jesse was handed that in life? No. But with God, you can break the cycle of dysfunction in your family line. If you're obedient, if you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. I believe that we have a church of cycle breakers, and this is going to be our take back here. And the final scene, and I think it's the scene that God wants us all to get to, is the assignment. So Gideon is washed, he's restored in his identity. He has this incredible encounter with God that changes his life. But then, most importantly, he's obedient to cut out what God tells him to cut out. The washing and then the cutting. But then finally, God comes to him with an assignment. Because our assignment is not just to be free, but to share or help others find freedom too. The final scene, the assignment, God wants to put an assignment in your hand. I have found that freedom without purpose leads to self-indulgence. And there are a lot of American Christians, if I can be so bold to say, probably around the world, but I live in America, so I'm just going to use America as my template, that have experienced scene one, have experienced the, see, the, the freedom of scene two, but they haven't yet picked up the assignment. And Paul said to the church in Galatians, I don't want you to use your freedom to serve yourself, but I want you to use your freedom to serve one another in love. What do we love about Harriet Tubman? The story of Harriet Tubman, I remember watching that movie and it moved me so deeply. What, what a woman, inspired by the Spirit of God. She was, she was a freed slave. But what I love about Harriet Tubman wasn't that she was a freed slave, but that she was a, sl a freed slave that then freed other slaves. Yeah. That, that's why we're talking about her. Yeah. There are, were a lot of freed slaves, but not a lot of freed slaves who freed slaves. So she receives her freedom. Her shackles are broken. The yoke of slavery is taken off her. She didn't go, oh, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, free at last. See you later, suckers. I'm out of here. She went back 
She went back and she got the key and she unlocked the cages of the people around her. Oh, I'm telling you, don't use your freedom to serve yourself. Oh, God wants to free you. He wants to wash you. He wants you to have an encounter with him, but he wants to make you a freedom fighter. It's not enough that Leanne Metasius was freed from fear. I am going to free other men and women from that tormenting spirit. I want to live free and I want you to have that freedom too. Don't be one of those fat Christians. I'm not talking about physically, although that's not terribly good either. I'm just going to be honest. Be one, be a healthy Christian. There are so many Christians and in the spirit, they're just like Jabba the heart walking through life. You are going to another conference and I'm going to find a pastor to pray for me. And then I'm going to stand in line and pester people for a prophecy. Stop that. You don't need another prophecy. God gave you a whole book of them. How, how about you prophesy over someone else? How about you pray for someone else? How about you be a freedom fighter? Oh, I didn't have a daddy when I grew up. I need the Lord to heal me. Good. Then go be a daddy to some other person's kid who doesn't have a father in their life. You're a freedom fighter. There is an assignment. There's an encounter. There's an obedience stage. And then there's an assignment. God has given you an assignment. Just like Jesus said in the parable of the talents in the book of Matthew. One day, our heavenly father is going to come back and he's going to settle accounts with us. What did you do with what I gave you? You may have only had one talent, but did you multiply it? Or did you hide it? Did you bury it like the evil, wicked servant that Jesus spoke about in the Gospels? Oh, Lord, I knew that you're a hard man. Wrong. Reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not sowed seeds. So I hid my talent. Wicked. You were meant to multiply it. One day God is going to come and settle accounts. What I did in your life, did you multiply? Did you get interest on it? I don't want to just rock up to heaven going, oh, here I am. Saved, delivered, healed, hugs. I want to have, I want to have lines of men and women behind me. I want to be the Harriet, the Harriet Tubman of heaven. I didn't just experience freedom. I helped others experience freedom. Oh, you, you matter to God. God wants to heal you. He wants to set you free. And he wants to make you a freedom fighter. Gideon's encounter wasn't just about Gideon, although it was also about Gideon. Of course, it's about you. You matter to God. I want you to know that today. But there's also a mission and an assignment on your life to be a freedom fighter. The thing that you're delivered from is the very thing that you have authority over. So when I speak on deliverance from fear, people get set free from fear and anxiety because I carry anointing because I flip and slayed that devil. In Jesus' name. True for me, true for you. What is your story? Because God wants to use it in order to bring freedom to so many other people. Started with Gideon, but it ended with the emancipation and the freedom and the liberation of the entire nation of Israel. The Bible says that Israel had peace for 40 years. Imagine. And isn't that what we all want? <laughs> a life of peace. You can have it. Encounter, obedience, assignment. 
Why don't you stand to your feet as we come to a close? Just lift your hands to God. And I don't know what scene you're in, and we'll find that we're going to cycle through all of them. But can I tell you that God can be trusted with a knife? God can be trusted with a knife. He's not a butcher. He's a skilled surgeon. And I think I'm speaking to many people today and you're wondering why your life sucks. And God is going to reveal to you the source of the dysfunction. Will you be obedient to surrender to him? God doesn't cut us to hurt us. He cuts us to heal us. But, but cutting, cutting hurts no matter any way it comes, just so you know. But the wounding of the Lord is the wounding of a friend. And he comes and he cuts away that cancer. Will there be some downtime? Yes. Will there be a little bit of pain? Oh, for sure. But the Holy Spirit is a really great anesthetist. And he'll comfort you in your surgery time. But then when you get off that bed, you're going to be free. And then freely you have received, now freely give. Father, I thank you for our church. I thank you that before me today is the most magnificent group of men and women who are at church on a Sunday when other people aren't. So they're showing you their hunger for you and their desire for you to work in their lives. Father, reveal to them as they go home. Reveal to them the source of the dysfunction. And Father, that we would be like Gideon, even if we are afraid, even if we feel vulnerable, we will tear that thing down. And Father, for those who have not yet picked up their assignment and it's ready, the papers are ready. I see that. God's trying to give you papers and orders, but you're resisting it. Don't resist. Take it. Because one day you're going to stand before him and it'll be time to settle accounts. And I, I don't, you know, this life is but a vapor. Before we know it, the blinking of an eye, we're going to stand before him. And I do not want to be counted as slack with the assignment that God has put in my hands. God, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your great love poured out upon them today. Father, you see every broken heart. You see every struggle. And right now, Father, I just thank you that you are strengthening them and giving them courage. And Father, I declare hope over their future today. I just see a future filled with hope. The whole world may be shaking, but when you stand on the rock of Jesus Christ, you will never be shaken. He's an unshakable source. Build your life on the rock. God is with you. God is for you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.